Queensbury, though, that's... Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> How did you manage to get here, living in Queensbury? Um, just before I launch into what I'm going to chat to you about uh, this morning, I just I want to give a little bit of a, a context, a bit of background uh, to uh, why I'm speaking on what I'm speaking on. Uh, way back in June, I, I think it was, uh, when we were still doing our Reason to Believe series, some of you will remember that, in the dim and distant past, um, um, I was speaking in the evening meeting, and I spoke on uh, salt and light, something that's been uh, buzzing around my brain and heart for uh, quite a few months, actually. Uh, and at the end, <coughs> pardon me, at the end of uh, the evening, I was chatting with uh, Pastor Phil. If, if you're here this morning, never been here before, Phil is uh, one of the leaders of the church here. And uh, he said, oh, it'd be great if you could come and just kind of kind of share something along those lines again and just encourage folk and kind of uh, enthuse and uh, uh, motivate people a little bit. And I said, oh, well, you know, because that was quite a small uh, evening service, the, um, not in terms of only a few had turned up because I was speaking, hopefully, but just because obviously the evening meeting's are uh, considerably smaller than the morning meeting. And I said to Phil, yeah, no, I'll do that. I'll, maybe I'll come and share what I shared in that evening with the broader church. And um, so I left it at that, uh, and, and then I kind of forgot that I'd said that. Um, so I began to prepare and think through uh, what I was going to share this morning, and I just was reminded, prob I re I'm going with by God, um, that actually this is what I was going to share. And so I, <clears throat> I really feel that, and, and it's not often I say these types of things, uh, partly because, um, partly because I don't like to make such big claims. Partly because maybe I'm a little bit scared sometimes of making such big claims. I don't know. Partly because I just think, who are you, Greenwood, to make claims like this? Uh, but anyway, I'm going to rock it this morning. Um, I really believe that what I shared back then, uh, and what I'm going to share with you this morning, which is, it's the same thing, in case you haven't picked up the hints, um, I really believe this is a word actually to the church, the church. You appreciate why I don't often say that. Um, and actually, even since what I was chatting to the folks back um, then on, in, in June, uh, there's been another bit stirring in me, even in this past week, um, to do with, with this subject. I, I read an article, and the article just simply talked about living in a post-Christian culture. Anybody heard that phrase before? We're living in a post-Christian culture. And even if you haven't heard the, fr the phrase, you probably appreciate the sentiment behind it, particularly those of you who've kind of, you know, grown up um, maybe in, in the mission, and you'll remember you know, the world was slightly more Christian. I'm not ever completely sure we've lived in a, in a, what I call a biblical Christian culture, I have to say. But certainly, certainly in a nominal Christian culture, we've, we've lived in that in the UK for many, many years. And now all the um, experts, you know what the definition of an expert is, don't you? A spurt is a drip under pressure. 
And an ex is an has-been, so you can make up your mind whether that's what the definition of an expert is or not. I'll leave that to you. But actually, even this week, I got a little bit angry. I did. I actually got a little bit angry because I read this article and it, it said, and we are living in a post-Christian culture. And there's something within me that just got a little bit cross. And I actually found myself internally, not externally, going, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to live in a post-Christian culture. I'm going to make it culturally Christian wherever I live. What do you think? You appreciate I've got a little bit more time to fill than that, so I am going to say a little bit more than that. But the, the, I didn't talk even about that in, in June. It's just that that's something else that's brewing around my brain at the moment. So with that in mind, I want to unpack for you what I, what I shared um, with uh, the small group. So that group that were there, uh, listen again. Okay, listen again. Don't think, oh, I've got you know, 30 minutes off or 35 minutes or whatever it is, listen again. Uh, so let me start by uh, saying m many of you from here uh, have known me for many years, right? We we've kind of, I I'll let you decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm going to go with the whole, it's a good thing for now. Um, and um, I'm, I'm originally, uh, I became a Christian through the uh, work of a church called the Elam Church in Bradford, and uh, some of you remember the old building and where it used to meet. It's now a nursery at the bottom of uh, the A650, just as it kind of sweeps round onto, I nearly said the new, but that's, it's been there about 25 years now, hasn't it? It's just as you get older, everything's new, right? Okay, because you just forget about, oh, it wasn't built last week. Um, and uh, some of you remember the big blue illuminous cross outside the building. And um, just to paint a scene for you this morning, um, uh, it was a Saturday. I'd gone down to the church. I was involved in uh, the leadership of the church. I worked uh, a, a few hours a week with the church to, to kind of head up their evangelism and oversee some of the youth stuff. And uh, so I was on the team in the church and, and Bob McDonald, who was the pastor at the time, said, oh, Mark, would, you, would it be possible for you to just, you know, nip down to church and make sure the baptismal tanks? OK. And it was a baptismal service on the Sunday. This was on the Saturday. And if I just paint for you a bit of a picture, um, you've got um, the curtains were here at the back of the building and, and behind the curtains was the baptismal tank and, and off to the right and off to the left um, behind the curtains were two doors where you would come in for the baptismal service, one for the, for the men and one for the ladies and uh, through the week when they weren't changing rooms they were offices. Okay, so you've got a bit of the picture. I'd come down on the Saturday and um, it was to make sure that the... the I don't even know if we'd get away with these these days, but they were the, the what well, I think they were called elements that were used to warm up the water. Do you, do you remember kettles where you had a big element? Well, there was like two of these stuck in the water, 
a liar. I'm not convinced they health, passed health and safety. I'm, I'm not sure. But um, Bob, the pastor, said, Mark, would you go down and just to make sure everything's okay, that the, the water's getting warm? All right, because really, then it was never going to get warm. So I said, yeah, that's no problem. So I walked in, and as I approached, there was a massive sign on the curtain that said, be careful, a baptismal tank open. So I walked in, and I was going to be careful because I saw the sign. So the sign was there, so I knew what danger lurked behind what were late 1950s designed curtains. I would suggest that the danger was in the curtains, not what lay behind them. So that was all good. So the sign was there, right? I knew the danger. So I walked in. Everything was good. Checked it. Yeah, kind of did the water test like you do with a kid. It's kind of, you know, warming. I think it's going to be all right. Um, on the Sunday morning, the baptismal service was, was due to be on the Sunday evening. So I came in on the Sunday morning and I was leading the service that particular day so I walked onto the platform the musicians were here I walked into the entrance just here which took me into one of the changing rooms and we did all like the pre-match devotions like praying and making sure everything's done with the worship team and it was all good and I, I came out of the door here the worship team followed me that's not some bizarre leadership thing it's just the way it worked on the day okay they followed me they sat down and I came and I welcomed everybody um, like a normal service. Great to see you. If you're a guest, blah, 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 blah. And then I said, right, we're going to start with our opening song. And uh, as we do so, you know, let's just relax and enjoy being in God's presence. And, uh, and then after that, I'm going to do a little talk because we always have like a little three or four minute thing before we kick the kids out or not kick them out like that. I appreciate They went out to their room and then, then um, the, um, the worship band had come back up and start the big chunk of worship. That's a theological phrase, chunk. And uh, so we did that. So great. We're going to sing a song. Musicians are going to lead us. So they kicked into gear and I'm leading. And then I thought, oh, no, I've forgotten it. My little, my little visual aid. Now, this will date it a little bit. Some of you won't even remember what these things are. But I had forgotten my acetate. <laughs> Do you remember acetates for the overhead projector? Do you remember those? None of you posh fandangle stuff like this. You, basically, you had flannel graphs, video projectors, and the overhead projector was somewhere in the middle, all right? So I thought, oh, no, I've forgotten my acetate. It's going to fall to pieces, my little spot. I've not got my acetate. So I, so I turned around and I said to the guy who was leading worship, Alan, Alan Jarvis. I said to him, Alan, could you just kind of keep this song going? Because I've got to get my acetate. I've left my acetate. In, in, in the back there, he said, yeah, no problem, I'll do that. Because he could play and talk, Alan. He was very, very good. And um, so I said, right, great. So I went to try and go through the musicians, but they spread out musicians, don't they? They breed and they take over the place. Obviously not here. Um, so I thought, oh, no, I can't get through. It's all right, I'll go through the other entrance. I thought to myself, this sounded like a good plan. So I went through the curtain and got baptised a second time. And if I find out to this day 
who removed the sign still to this day I'm bitter I don't know whether I got unbaptized I don't know how it works theologically I mean thankfully I didn't I managed to stop the whole of me going in but my trousers had got absolutely wet through and uh, I was a professional out nobody knew nobody knew apart from my friend called Mark Richardson who was on guitar and he'd heard the splash (laughs) he he definitely knew because he completely lost it he, he was playing random chords now, none of them to do with the music. All the time it had gone, he was just doing that. Have you ever had shoulder shake in church? It's, and you think, I've got to get rid of the shoulder shake. Well, he, he, it was a, an absolute commotion. But I've got me acetate, ladies and gentlemen. I've got me acetate. And I went through like a fellow professional. Though I didn't have to explain, because there was a rising level of water kind of coming up like that and my boots were full of water and it was a dancer as well so it was squelching everybody squelch and praise the lord it was a nightmare all because like yesterday yesterday i saw the signs yesterday the signs were there the danger signs were there so yesterday as i approached the potential danger it was all right because the signs were still there But this Sunday morning, as I approached the danger, as I approached the curtain, somebody had removed the signs. There was nothing there to tell me about the danger anymore. What was there yesterday was no longer there today. And in a very short amount of time, I'd forgotten. It's my firm conviction that we live right now in the world and people are not aware of the danger they're not aware of the danger of not following god the signs have been removed. yes they were there yesterday but they're not there now now we can either be really depressed about that we can be really upset about that or we can say we've got a blank canvas and we don't have to fight through some of the religious stuff. We, we don't have to change as many religious perceptions. Oh, there are still perceptions out there. I was reminded when Amwin just shared about the response on the, um, was, it, was it just on, on the internet, was it? Yeah, about how, what, what do you need a new church for? Churches are dead. <laughs> and I think, like, the new building is going gonna, gonna to change some perceptions, folks. It's going to change some massive perceptions. And my prayer is that as it changes some perceptions, people are kind of caused to come and look into the Christian faith. Because there is a perception out there that the church is irrelevant, that the church is dead and it's shrinking. But I choose to believe, and I wasn't going to say this, I choose to believe that when God says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it I choose to believe that I choose to believe that what do you choose to believe this morning are we going to choose to believe that this morning that whatever comes against us God's building his church that's what I choose to believe and of course, the way he does it, and this, this is like a head doer for me, because I'm not going to lie to you, I wouldn't choose me to build the church. I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose me. 
I'm not going, I'm just going to go off peace from my notes for a few moments. I wouldn't choose me because I, I know how unreliable I am. I know how I mess it up. I know how weak I am. I know how much lack of confidence I don't have all the time. And this is what blows me away. This is what blows me away. The God of the universe, in the main, has reduced his activity on planet Earth to working through you and me. Can God do stuff without us? Yeah, of course he can. Does God do stuff without us? Yes, he does. But in the main, he has decided to reduce his activity to working through you and me. And I, I find that humbling. I find it incredibly exciting. And just to give some kind of biblical framework for how I just want to progress over the next few moments, we're going to read what's actually quite a well-known passage. If you haven't guessed what passage it is, I'm going to tell you it's Matthew 5, 13 to 16, for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you'll know what that means. If you're not just uh, listening to the words, but also they're going to come up on the screen behind me here. And I want us to think about these. Now, please, let, can I just say, don't switch off now. Don't switch off now because you're familiar with the passage. Because I think there's going to be some fresh revelation for some of you this morning. I think there's going to be some new, new stuff for you this morning for some of you. And I think for some of you, you're going to have some old stuff reiterated and driven home again. So Holy Spirit, come and speak to us in whatever way you want to speak to us through your word. Let me read, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The timing of this passage is quite interesting. Uh, Jesus follows this, this great teaching on the Beatitudes with two, two concepts, if you will, that kind of pardon me, symbolise the disciple, you and me, salt and light. And these two symbols are characteristics, characteristics of God's kingdom members in society. These two concepts are only activated outside of the church. There's often things that we read in the Bible that is activated in the church and out of the church. But these two ideas of salt and light, these can only be activated when you and I are beyond the four walls of the building. We can't be salt and light in here, can we? Salt cannot be salt when it's in its salt shaker. Well, it can, it just has no impact. It's not activated. Light, light, light can only be light when it's activated, when it's got some power, when, it's, when it actually it takes place, when it's actually switched on. 
And both of these concepts are expressive. Both designate a service beyond themselves. And both are important in human experience. In fact, the Romans of the time of Jesus had this statement. There is nothing more useful than salt. Sorry, than sun and salt. Nothing more useful than sun and salt. And these two symbols refer to the enriching preservative influence of the Christian in the world. No, this, this hit me. This is like obvious. I mean, obviously that you've thought about this is only me that hasn't thought about this before. But I, I, this hit me again when I was sharing with the folks back in June and it's still, it's still brewing around him. It's still building in me, right? It, it doesn't say you can be salt, or you can be light, it says you are. It doesn't say you are some of the salt that is needed to help this world. It doesn't say that you are some of the seasoning. Uh, that It says you are. It's not like you and a bit of something else. You and a bit of oregano. It's not saying that. It's saying... You're the salt. You're the salt. And you are the light. I've been working with a church in uh, Grimsby. In fact, I'm going there uh, today after I've spoken here. And they're doing an amazing job, this church. Church of about 30 people, something like that. Uh, They've got three full-time staff. They've got a number of properties which they bought up in the area and they rent them out. They're now an income generation. They get a little bit of, uh, little bit of funding from different grants. But it's a church, I'll use a, a, a not a particularly theological phrase here, but it's a church that's punching above its weight. Well punching above its weight. And they came to me about two years ago and they said, Mark, we realise we've done all this social action stuff um, and we've not actually done any real evangelism. Can you come and help us? So I said, yeah, I'd love to, love to. So uh, I went to help them. They took me around. And one particular day when I'd arrived, it was, there, was a, there was a particularly few hot days, um, either earlier this year or late last year. I can't quite remember the exact timings of it. But um, I'd arrived and uh, we'd just had a bite to eat. And it was about half five. We were due to start at half seven. And they said, should we just go for a little walk in the garden? Now, forgive me. Um, I, I wasn't that excited about walking around in their little garden. Right. Because, like, this was... And you'll see why I didn't... I, I couldn't see beyond this. It was, it was quite a poor area in Grimsby. Densely... Uh, populated, like, you know those sorts of roads where you've literally got house after house after house after house and you think maybe there's like a little, little tiny back garden like some of the terraced houses that I was brought up in. And so I thought, well, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go and be polite, but I couldn't really see, you know, any real excitement. I'd rather have a cup of tea, do you know what I mean? So I said, yeah, all right then. So they took me out of the, the uh, church office, walked across the kind of crossroads, houses all over. Um, We just walked two houses down, and then we took me through uh, this little, we call them ginnels and alleyways, you know, the sort of thing. Took me through that, and there was these massive um, security gates, nice ones, posh ones, 
massive security gates. I thought, ooh, a bit overkill, but, you know, for a bit of a back garden. And uh, unlocked the gate, and they took me in to this, this piece of land that had kind of sat between the backs of lots of houses and had just been used for many years for fly tipping. And there was literally, when they took it over, they showed me the photographs of it after, where there was literally just prams and washing machines and I'm sure there were some humans under there as well I really really am you know the sorts and it was it was just a mound it was like a tip and quite a big area I mean I would say probably as half as wide again as this building here and probably yeah I would definitely say half as long again so quite a big plot of land and the church had taken it over and over time they'd cleared it up they'd put these new security railings all the way around, they'd, they'd, they'd laid it, they, they got, did they call them polytunnels? Those like big, like, almost like a greenhouse but with plastic. I mean, yes, maybe not, I mean, that's helpful. Okay, and they, they, they'd um, put a kid's playground, they'd raised all the money to do it, massive wooden cabin type tents, like really expensive. You know some of that fake soft tarmac floor for, for kids, that's really safe stuff. And then like further down to the other side of this polycarp tunnel, uh, they'd got a massive, really sort of tranquil garden area with some, some, some box hedging, for those of you familiar with, with that type stuff, and just really beautifully planted up. And it was amazing. And I walked in there, as I walked in there, I felt really chill out. I, felt I said to them, I said, wow, there's, there's, it's peaceful here, isn't it? In amongst the madness of this housing area, this beautiful, green, tranquil area, and it just felt amazing. And they said to me, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's like, we, like when some of, they've got a, I don't know if it's a prison or a remand centre or an, uh, an offend, young offenders institute, I can't remember the exact detail, but when it all got a bit tense and it was all kicking off in the institute, they'd, they'd bring them and they'd, they'd, they'd calm them down just by being in this place and like it, it, i mean i could i could tell you loads and loads of stuff the council and the police are buying the church different they're coming and say, is there anything you need anything you need yeah we need a little bit of help because our kitchens that will buy you a new kitchen we'll buy you a new kitchen because listen to this since you built this garden crime has come down in the area it's amazing that isn't it and now all of a sudden, now it's like, since they got all this area done, people are actually coming out of their own homes and doing what I used to see when I was brought up as a kid in Springwood Avenue. People have come out and sweep the back alley. And people have been coming out and, and they decorated. They've decorated their houses. Not at the front, at the back, where all the area is exposed. Salt and light. Salt and light. And I was really impacted by this church. Ladies and gentlemen, we need a fresh excitement and enthusiasm from God to understand the influence that you and I are when we live out there. People are more likely to become Christians because they know you. It's not rocket science. Simple. If, and so the more people we get to know, the bigger influence we become. This is radical stuff, isn't it? 
The more people we get to know, the more influence we can be, the, the better we can be salt and the better we can be light. And we can do it. Why? Because we are the salt. It's, you know, it's just like you go through Alpha, then you go through something else and you can become salt. No, the day you said yes to Jesus, you became salt. The day you said yes to Jesus, you became light. And if we're not, it's because it's not been activated out there. You need to understand the value that God places on you as being salt. I, um, this story normally takes me a lot longer to tell, but I'll condense it just for the sake of time. I, um, I, I lived in Bristol, did my training in evangelism in Bristol, and there's a particular family, really generous and kind to me, um, really looked after I mean, amazing. They were like a family away from home. Really appreciate it. They said, any time you want, just drop in. I don't think they quite anticipated how many times I'd drop in, but they always seemed to be happy to see me. I'm assuming they were. And there was this one particular time I'd, I'd gotten really well with the oldest girl, not in a kind of girlfriend-boyfriend way. She was just a really close pal. It would never have worked. She was about five, six inches taller than me. It just wouldn't have worked. Okay, and uh, we got on really, really well. And like Sarah just used to treat me to loads of stuff. She had a great job. I had no money. The only money I had which, which was what came through the letterbox. I could tell you miracle after miracle about that. But again, I haven't got time this morning. So I, at one particular time, I had about £20 spare. Spare, in inverted commas. And I said to Sarah, I, I, you've really been kind to me. I've got a spare bit of cash. I'd like to take you out for a meal. She said, no, 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 keep it. I said, no. I want to take you out for a meal because I'm really grateful. So like in Yorkshire, when we show our love, what do we do? Fish and chips, right? <coughs> take her to, so I took her out for fish and chips. I mean, you've got to understand it was Western Supermare, not quite on the level of Bradford fish and chips. Okay. So I took her out for fish and chips. And it was one of those times, and I haven't got time to go into great detail, but it was one of those times where you know when you see things happening... And you know you should say something, but you can't get your words out. Have you ever been in that position? Well, it, it was, she, she picked up the salt. To, and it was one of them that you kind of like tip like that and it loads it up. Do you know the, the salt that I mean? Tip like that, load it up. And, and as, soon, as she did that, I thought, she started to put it on. I thought, huh, that's the sugar. Then I didn't know what to say. You know, because like you get tongue-tied in those situations, don't you? And it's like, I'm thinking, that's going to taste really sweet. And she was whacking it on, whacking it on. And, and I'd put this, already put my salt on and my vinegar, and I'm eating mine, I'm going, mm, how was the fish and chips? And she said, Lovely. And I think she's caught because she knows I've just spent my last 20, my only 20 quid I'd had up to that stage on her fish and chips. And do you know what? Got to hand it to her. She ate all of them. Every last bit. Do you know she didn't want a pudding? It's funny that, isn't it? Didn't want a pudding. It's like a pudding and a main all in one when she had fish and chips with, with the sugar. Why did the sugar make an impact? Well, it wouldn't, the salt would have made an impact if the salt... And to come out of the salt shaker and onto the substance. Listen, God's not always asking us to go out there and be sickly sweet. Although there is some scriptural uh, context about being sweet. 
But in this sense, he wants us to get out and, and just get in the substance. Why did the sugar make the food sweet? Because it got into the substance. Why would the salt potentially have made the food really more flavoursome if it had got out of the salt shaker and into the substance? It's interesting, salt in the Roman world, this is really fascinating, salt in the Roman world symbolised purity. In fact, salt in the Roman world, the process that it went through to become good salt, it made it so valuable, it was so pure that people would be paid in salt. The word salary comes from, from that. So salary comes from salt. And, and, and what would happen is they, they'd essentially get buckets of, of, of salt, highly salted water. Is it like what you see? Is it the Black Sea? A Dead Sea, isn't it? Where they're, where they're floating. They get these sort of great big buckets out and they, they dry. They just leave the buckets, big massive vats. They'd leave it and the sun would um, evaporate the water, if you remember that science lesson. Uh, but what would be left would be a very pure salt. Not like the stuff that, you know, you throw on your steps to stop you slipping off in the sun. Well, that's what we think about when we think about salt. Actually, it was great big salt crystals, much more like, like rock salt, if anything, but even, even more valuable, even more pure. It's like when somebody was paid in salt, it's like the process it had gone through to make it pure made it really valuable and added to its saltiness. And it was predominantly used for preservation of something going off, but also adding flavour and extracting the natural flavours that are already in the substance, as well as preserving it. Do you know, our role in society, ladies and gentlemen, it's not to be against it, but it's to enrich it and purify the social order, making it truly a realm of blessing where God's kingdom hits planet Earth. That's what we're meant to be. And when we live as salt in the substance, I believe, we'll, we'll make an impact, we'll preserve it. But actually we'll begin to generate a thirst, we'll begin to extract the flavours. I don't think we fully appreciate what we can be when we're God's kingdom members in society. Let me just uh, talk very briefly about the light because time's slipping away and I want to make sure we're, we're disciplined here. But I just need to say something briefly about the light so we fully understand what Jesus meant when he said, you are the light. When we think about light, actually the passage that we read almost bears no relevance because it talks about nobody lights a lamp and puts a bowl under it. But that's what we do, don't we? We go and buy a nice bright light and we put a shade over it. So actually, we, that's not the context, is it? We need to kind of dig around a little bit and, and ask ourselves, well, that, that doesn't work because we go down to Ikea and we can have four or five lights in a room, can't we? And my kids manage to leave every single one of them on. But I'm dealing with it all right. I'm dealing with it all right most of the time. So we don't understand but the lamp that Jesus was talking about is, is much more along the lines of a Palestinian lamp. In fact, another passage where it references the same sort of lamp is the parable of the ten virgins. You remember that um, back end of Matthew where it was an oil-based lamp. 
and that some of them had got enough oil in it, some of them hadn't. Well, the kind of lamp that this is talking about is much more like that. And what they would do is they'd light the lamp so they'd get it lit and then they'd put it on its stand. It tells us in the passage. Okay, nobody puts a bowl over it, but you light the lamp and you put it on its stand. And the stand was, was at the same place. It was left there. What would happen with the stand is people would look at the room. This is like interior design, early doors for you, this one. They'd look in the room and say, right, where do we need to place this lamp and its stand so it can have maximum impact? So they would strategically place the lamp on its stand in the place where it would have maximum impact impact because predominantly the rooms were one room some posh houses had like a couple of rooms built on the edge where people would sleep but essentially most of the activity sleeping and eating and living took place in one room and so it was one lamp to make a maximum impact and then what they do is when they thought right it's going to be the best place here what they would do is they paint obviously not with dulux but with a lime based almost like a plaster paris what they do is they paint the walls behind the lamp white. Some recent archaeological discoveries have, have actually substantiated this even more. We've always believed it to be the case. And they paint it white wherever the lamp, behind the lamp, why? So it's going to be placed in its best place, so its most strategic place, and then it would have its best throw its best impact and often if they got it right because of the nature of the windows were just open the, the 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 throw of the light went beyond its intended influence it would throw out through 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 the um the windows or the doors of the room so when jesus says you're the light of the world sounds quite nice doesn't it oh light of the world I went, well, no, a little light. It's nice, isn't it? No, 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 no. Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world. Where are you going to position yourself for maximum impact? You know, what's the white backdrop? I, I, I don't know. But, you know, we could maybe say, well, maybe it's love. Maybe it's holiness that magnifies our light and puts it beyond its intended reach and its intended throw. So where, where does God want you to position yourself for maximum impact, impact so that we can live openly in the world? Light dispels darkness simply by being there. When it's light outside, you can't buy a dark bulb, can you? Oh, it's a bit bright for me. Close the curtains, but there's still light there. You're just shading yourself from it. But you can switch a light on it. It just illuminates everything, doesn't it? So where is God positioning you as an individual Christian to, to have maximum impact? Just as we begin to kind of, kind of focus towards the end of our meeting, I'm going to ask James to, to come up if you want to come up and just... Um, play something gently in the background, that would be lovely. I'd like us just to reflect on this for a few moments. Now, I wonder whether you might just close your eyes. It's my firm opinion that we don't need to live in a post-Christian culture, but we can create a Christian culture wherever we are. Institutionally, we might not have a Christian culture, 
But hey, you do know the church has never been about institutions. It's always been about you and me, ladies and gentlemen, being salt and being light. And you and I can produce a Christian culture by being salt and light wherever we walk. Wherever we walk. You're ambassadors, 2 Corinthians tells us. And as we kind of begin to move into the Christmas season, we're just far enough away from it to be able to just have a, a time where we can pray and we can begin to say to God, Lord, help me to make the most of this Christmas season. Help me to be salt. Help me to be light. We're going to begin to move into a season where we'll quote part of a verse. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders. I believe we carry God's presence. I really do believe that. And where does God want you to, to walk and to be and to live? He wants you to be salt. Where does he want you to be light? I tell you that, that you know, there's no better time to be able to invite people to think about the gospel than Christmas. A few years ago, my wife and I had gone to uh, uh, with our kids when they were really young to a place called Hatton Country Park, and it was one of these places where they've got like rides and fair rides and guinea pigs and little designer outlets all in one little area and a little independent retailers, sweet shops. And uh, this, as on the run-up to Christmas, they do that every year. They had one of these live nativities where they got an actual donkey there and shepherds dressed up and walking around. And then every now and then they'd pause and they'd sing two or three carols. And as I stood one particular moment, one particular moment, it hit me. As people began to sing these carols, it hit me like, wow, there's almost an incongruity about this. At any other time of the year, most of these people will not be singing the name of Jesus. They'll be cursing it, but they won't be singing it. Most of the time through the year, they won't be singing these great gospel doctrines that there are in the Christmas carols. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Emmanuel, God with us. Cast out our sin and entering. And these are coming out of the lips of people that don't know Jesus. And there has to be something quite powerful that as these people confess these things, there has to be something quite powerful about presenting what Jesus is really all about. I believe it with all my heart. So I want to encourage you to again say, Lord, I'm the salt right now where you are. I want to encourage you to say, Lord, help me to understand the, the value, the purity that I am and that I carry in, and the light that I am. I want to ask you this morning to offer up your life again to truly be being salt and light out there where it matters. I want to ask you to offer up your life as kingdom members 
in God's society. To say, Lord, help me to be salt and light. And to be praying and saying, Lord, who, who can I, as I walk this, as I be salt and be light, who can I invite along to meet the light of the world? I'm just going to ask you now, in your own heart, to, to pray to God and say, God, I offer myself again to be salt and light. And I offer myself intentionally to talk to people about you over Christmas. And so, Father God, in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you illuminate and ignite within us afresh this morning a passion, an excitement, an understanding about the beauty of you reducing your activity to predominantly through us. That, Lord, everywhere we walk, we'll re-establish a Christian culture. We're not going to listen to what the media tells us, Lord. We're not going to tell us, listen to the, to, the, to the facts of what church growth tried to tell us about numerically. That may be happening, but Lord, I choose to believe today that when you said you'll build your church, you weren't telling lies. And I choose today to listen to your word, to listen to you, not anything else. Lord, that it may not be apparent. Give us your vision as we've already sung about this morning, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you call us to be light and to be salts in this nation. But Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you call us to be salt and light in this city. Lord, although the world, although the nation looks on the city of, of Bradford and sees all the badness in it, but Lord, I thank you, Lord, there is goodness in the city of Bradford because you are here and this is your city, Lord. And Lord, may we be a church, may we, may we be a people that goes out from this place and be that, be that salt and light. Lord, what is the point of us having a building if we're not going to go beyond these four walls? Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you call us to step out. You have called us to serve this community. Lord, that's why we're not moving from this from this area Lord we're just going across the road because you have called us to stay here in this area but Lord you have called us to greater things and may you stir it up inside of us Lord may we have your vision and your vision alone Lord during this Christmas as we share the real reason of Christmas that you came down into this earth humble as a little child to grow up to be slain on that cross for our sin 
Help us to be light, Lord. Help us to be salt in this nation. Because this nation needs it. And I thank you, Lord, that you have called us into a partnership with you. Lord, you can do it without us. You don't even need us, Lord. But yet you call us because you want to use us. And may we be used this Christmas. May your kingdom grow, I pray. Because you alone can save. You alone can rescue. You alone can lift us from the grave. Because you came down to find us. Led us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. Let's just sing that chorus one more time.